Who can you trust? Who can you trust? These days, it's actually really hard to know sometimes who you can trust. We've known for decades that you can't trust many politicians. Journalism and the media are riddled with biases on all sides. So, uh, so are schools, it seems. Many movies, shows, or books seem to have an agenda of some kind embedded in them. Facebook and Google and Twitter can't seem to figure out how to handle fake news. Even websites that are solely designed to determine truth and falsehood aren't being trusted anymore. Many of our own friends or family members are, are posting things or saying things that are inaccurate or unreliable. And maybe it's a symptom of our postmodern culture that many don't seem to even care whether or not something is accurate. If it supports my beliefs, it must be true. But this has made an absolute mess of knowing who you can trust. Can you trust your friends, your family, your parents, your siblings, your coworkers? your teachers, CBC, your Facebook news feed. You might feel that these days it's just about no one. You can't believe anyone anymore. But there is one place where I believe this should absolutely not be the case, and that's the church. You should be able to trust people if they are part of God's people. Now, sadly, maybe you can't, but ideally, you should be able to. Look at the people around you. Turn your right to your left, okay? See who's sitting next to you. Okay? If they follow Jesus, every word that comes out of their mouth should be true and reliable. Every email, text, social media post should be filled with truth. There should be nothing doubtful, misleading, or deceitful coming from them. And whatever they commit to doing, you should be able to count on them doing. In essence, Christians should be unquestionably trustworthy people. So are you trustworthy? Know that as you looked around a moment ago, just as many people were looking back at you. Now, don't believe me that we're supposed to be trustworthy? Let's look together at what our Lord and Master Jesus says. If you would, please find Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. Matthew 5, we'll be starting in verse 33. Today we're continuing our look into the second half of Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gives a number of, of successive instructions that follow the same formula. He says something to the effect of, you've heard this before. You've heard this from the law, from the teachers of the law. But I say to you this. And then he goes on to interpret and explain the law from God's perspective. So the law says, do not murder. But Jesus says, don't even get angry or insult or curse other people. The law says, do not commit adultery. But Jesus says, do not even lust. Don't get divorced. He's raising the bar for his people who have a, a deeper, spirit-infused righteousness now. 
Those uh, murder and adultery, those are the sixth and seventh of the Ten Commandments. Jesus is going to do something a bit different next, though. He's not going to quote a commandment exactly. I believe he will strongly allude to a couple of them, to the third and the ninth specifically, of not taking God's name in vain and not lying or bearing false witness. But he's not even going to quote directly from a verse somewhere else in the law either. He's going to quote what was a common summary of several different Old Testament teachings brought together. For example, Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And Numbers 30 verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Based on these passages and others like them, people had been taught thus. Look in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That's a, a pretty decent summary of what the law taught God's people. And in it, we can see the topic of the day. We're going to talk about something really small. Our words. Our words. Specifically, our oaths and promises and vows and commitments. You may think that's a, a very minor thing to discuss, and yet what we'll see is that these things are not really small at all. Because our words come directly from our hearts. And as we've seen again and again, that is what God is most concerned with. What is in our hearts, inside of us. Besides, the gospel is really concerned with both the biggest and the smallest details of our lives. For example, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul goes on this majestic rant for three chapters long and about how cosmically glorious our salvation is. And then he finishes with this, you'll recognize this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, do you know what one of his very first commands to us in the next chapter is? Therefore having put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Takes the glorious and he applies it to the everyday. An honest speech, an honest living should be a distinguishing characteristic of a true believer. And so Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Right? We're going to read further in just a few minutes. But basically, Jesus says, You've heard, do not swear falsely. I say, don't swear at all. Whereas the former is concerned about not lying, the latter is concerned about not even going to the place where you could end up lying. 
But first, we should maybe ask, what is this he's talking about? What is the swearing? What are these oaths that he's talking about? Because Jesus is not talking about swearing as in profanity. That's how we would usually use swearing today to refer to that. But this kind of swearing refers to vows or oaths in order to pledge truthfulness. Craig Keener explains that human cultures developed oaths because people could not trust their neighbors without calling an avenging deity to witness. So you get that? We make oaths when we're trying to prove that we're going to keep our word, that we're going to guarantee we're going to keep our word. And this only happens because people have always proven to be untrustworthy. So imagine that you go to your neighbor, you ask him to borrow his hammer. And he says, all right, here's my hammer, but how can I know that you're going to return it? Say, oh, don't worry, I'm going I'm to turn it, return it, trust me. But they go, I don't know if I can trust you. And so you add on to what you say, said before. You say something like, I swear to God, you're going to get your hammer back. That's an oath. That's the kind of promise that Jesus is talking about here. And calling on a, a god or a deity in the oath, people were saying by this that may this god punish me, even kill me if I don't, if I break my word. Other oaths were made on something or by something that you would consider sacred or special. So back in the day, that would involve maybe swearing by the temple or by heaven. These days, it may be swearing by your your late mother's or father's grave or on the Bible, on all that's holy, something like that. And usually what is implied by swearing on something or by something, that is if you don't keep your word, you agree to desecrate whatever you're swearing on. Something like, if I don't do what I say, you can go take a dump on my late mom's tombstone. It's essentially what it is. Or, I'll rip pages out of the Bible if I break my promise. Of course you don't want those things to happen. That's kind of the point. Right? You're, it's, it's communicating to someone else how serious you are. Like, kids' pinky promises or pinky swears, right? If I break my word, you break my pinky. <laughs> Oaths attempt to increase the gravity, the seriousness of your words. The religious teachers of Jesus' day emphasized this, that oaths made things more serious. And they decided that the, the law was clearly against both lying and breaking your word, breaking your oath. So they taught what Jesus relayed here. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. We know from elsewhere that the religious teachers also come up with this elaborate system of oath-keeping so, for swearing. So certain formulas, certain words were allowed, others were forbidden. They also said that swearing using God's name was the most serious oath of all, and really, that ultimately, that was the only oath that was 100% binding. So you swore by something else, it's not a huge deal if you, if you break that vow. So it's in this context that Jesus comes along and says, But I say to you, but I say to you, continue with me, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So before, God had allowed for certain forms of swearing in the law, but that was being abused. So now Jesus is coming and exposing the spirit of the law. He was saying, you've got to go beyond keeping your word. You've got to be careful what words you give in the first place. I think we're going to see three clear reasons for this in, the pa in this passage. First one, we need to be very careful about what we promise because there are sacred things, right? We need to be careful with what we promise because there really are sacred things. You wonder, right, what in the world is actually wrong with swearing? Well, this goes back to the whole reason that people swear at all. As A.M. Hunter says, oaths arise because men are so often liars. <laughs> if you and I never lied, we would feel zero need to ever swear. But we do lie. If, and thus, we sometimes feel the need that we need to confirm our trustworthiness, confirm our truthfulness. No, this time, I really am serious. I, I mean it. I'll do it. But if we cannot be believed without an oath, we've already lost the battle because it shows that dishonesty and deceit reside deep in our hearts. Here, Jesus points out another reason we shouldn't swear. And really, that's because we're messing with sacred things. Think about it. Why does Jesus bring up heaven, earth, and Jerusalem here? These are the things that people in his day often swore by, either to avoid swearing by God's name and maybe to give themselves an out just in case they needed to. So lesser, lesser promise. But Jesus says, all of those things that you're swearing by are actually sacred things too. Right? You, you might be keeping the letter of the law by not taking God's name in vain, which is what you would be doing, but you're not keeping the spirit of the law because you're still treating the things of God flippantly. So I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. He's still talking about God there. All of these things were associated with God in some way. John Stott explains it this way. He says, Jesus argues that the Pharisees' distinction between formulae which mention God and those which do not is entirely artificial. However hard you try, Jesus said, you cannot avoid some reference to God, for the whole world is God's world, and you cannot eliminate him from any of it. Did you notice the language of royalty that's being used in these verses? Swear by heaven. That's God's throne, where he rules from. Swear by the earth. That's his footstool, what he rules over. Swear by Jerusalem. That's his city, the city of the king, the city that God has called his own, chose to dwell in. In a country with a, a powerful king or queen, no one would dare belittle the ruler to their face. Right? I don't know if you've watched The Crown, the uh, historical drama about Queen Elizabeth. It's kind of given us some ability to picture royalty here in Canada, or maybe you watch The Royal Wedding. 
What would happen if someone walked up to Queen Elizabeth and spat in her face? No one would dare. Right? And people thought like this when they said, you know what, we don't dare disrespect God. So we're not going to swear by him or by his name. But what would happen if someone walked up behind the queen and spat on her throne or spat at the feet of where she's sitting or spat even with just detest at Buckingham Palace? It's basically the same thing as spitting at the queen herself. These things are obviously linked to her and her reign. To desecrate one is to desecrate the crown. People weren't making this connection with swearing, though. Right? I won't swear by God, but I'll swear by heaven, or by the earth, or by Jerusalem. They didn't clue in that they were desecrating sacred things with cheap promises. And if you take God's things in vain, you might as well take his name in vain. Our culture says that there is nothing sacred anymore. There's anything can be mocked. Anything can become a joke. Anything can be a swear word. Anything is fair game. There are no more cultural taboos. I mean, any sitcom or comedy routine can tell you that. Billboards, commercials, even ice cream shops in the Glebe tell us that. But the reality is, there are sacred things. There are many, many, many sacred things in this life. Things that God says are special. Things that he says should be treated with respect, with honor. We shouldn't cheapen them by tossing them around, even in our speech. And that's why we shouldn't even make oaths, even if we fully plan on keeping them. Because just blurting out the words can be using them carelessly. You might ask, well, what about swearing by non-sacred things? That okay? And I'd ask, why bother? Right? Why bother swearing if you're not appealing to something that's important to you? <laughs> Vowing on something unimportant or non-valuable to you kind of defeats the purpose of swearing at all. Because who cares if that's desecrated by you not keeping your word? Now, I haven't heard any of you swearing by Jerusalem lately, so I think you're okay there. But, but, I have a sad feeling that many of us blow right on past swearing by sacred things and we jump right to swearing by the sacred one. We just casually, carelessly say, I swear to God. Even if we just say, I swear, without swearing on anything in particular, we have to realize we're still cheapening something, if only just the rest of our words. We're ironically calling our own honesty into question, our own character. As Stott says, swearing is a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. 
Therefore, it is foolish to throw any kind of promises or oaths around carelessly. Parents, don't make idle promises or idle threats to your children. Kids, don't make thoughtless promises to your friends. Everyone, don't treat your own words lightly. Okay, be serious about what you say. It, it, otherwise, it trivializes yourself. And if you follow Christ, you are a child of the great king after all. Some of you are asking, though, should we really not make any oaths at all? What about official oaths, like legal ones, like being sworn in at court, or your wedding vows, or saying a citizenship oath, or swearing into some kind of office, maybe the, the Hippocratic oath for those in the medical profession? Some Christians have decided that, no, we shouldn't make those kinds of vows either. That's taking the text at full face value, after all. But then again, so was gouging out eyes and cutting off hands just a couple verses ago. Now, actually, I think we need to take Jesus' words extremely seriously, but not excessively literal. I believe that there are times and places for making certain kinds of oaths. Why do I say this? Why can I say this? I mean, Jesus seems pretty clear here. Well, for one, God himself makes a number of oaths in Scripture. If making oaths was wrong, period, then God would be in the wrong. Jesus himself seems to uh, confirm an oath, a legal oath, before the high priest in Matthew 26. In other places, in the New Testament, after this was said, apostles seem to make oaths, angels make oaths. So it's not wrong in every circumstance. But also another reason is refusing to make any oath ever runs the risk of just creating a new legalistic rule. And then we'd be like the Pharisees, completely missing the point of what God is saying here. Are you treating God as holy and sacred in your heart? Talking about these legal oaths, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the conclusion we can come to based upon Scripture is that while oath-taking must be restricted, there are certain solemn, vital occasions when it's right, when it is not only legitimate, but actually adds a solemnity and authority which nothing else can give. This is all why I didn't say to never make promises in your oaths, but be very careful with what promises we make. Now I'm going to suggest a deeper application for us that may be a bit more uncomfortable. I think the principles here that Jesus talks about can extend to all of our speech. Everything we say, all of our words. Really, I mean, think about it this way. We need to be care very careful about what we say because they're sacred things. We tend to be extremely careless with our words. We speak hastily, without thinking, and thus, really, if you think about it, this does end up applying to things like profanity. 
to taking God's name in vain, to coarse joking, to any kind of unholy speech. Jesus says that we'll give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word we speak. Once again, we see that our sin runs far deeper than we imagine or we like to admit. We might have heard Jesus' words and thought, this topic doesn't really matter that much. And that's a huge part of the problem. We don't even see our sin. We don't even notice it. Our sins, they are many, so thank God His mercy is more. Praise God that, that Jesus left His throne in heaven, came down to His footstool of earth, and on a, a most sobering day of all, outside the walls of Jerusalem, the city of the great King. The king, of king, the king of the Jews, as it was written, was nailed to a cross. The humble king laid down his life in order to take all of our profane words, our blasphemies, our sacrilege, our careless vows, our broken promises, our failed integrity, our outright lies, our unfaithfulness, take it all on Himself so we don't need to bear the weight and the guilt of that anymore. And then on the most glorious day of all, He rose from the dead, promising life to those who would follow Him. And soon after, returned to his throne as victorious king, the king of kings. He now invites you to come to him, surrendering your life to his rule, making him your king. Many of us have done this already, and it is a, a joy to have him as our king. And if you haven't, I'd also warn you that one day every knee will bow. I don't say this lightly. You will bow now or you will bow later. I hope, I desperately pray that you will gladly make Jesus your king today for all that he's already done for you. When we get this picture, we see how great God is, how great His mercy is, how great His glory is, and how not so great we are. It really opens our eyes. And I think that that realization should also shape who, how we talk, how we promise. Jesus makes this point with the same command, don't make oaths, but for a different reason. Look in verse 36. He says, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What I believe we should learn here is that we need to be very careful about what we promise because there are things out of our control. 
All right, there are, we need to be very careful about what we say, what we promise, because there are things that are just out of our control. By things, I mean many things. I mean most things. I mean just about everything in the universe. We are so not in control. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You can dye your hair. You can pluck out your gray hairs. You can shave it all off. But you cannot make one single hair a different color by nature. Right? Dyed hair still grows back its natural color. Just for men doesn't last forever. <laughs> You realize that you have approximately 100,000 hair follicles on just your head. You can't change one of them. It just shows how limited we are. If even something so minuscule and insignificant as one thread of our hair is out of our control, how could we ever think we are in control of anything else in our lives? And therefore, how could we ever presume to guarantee things that are out of our control to other people? That's essentially what promises are, right? They're attempts at guarantees. We promise what we very well might not be able to deliver. When we were camping earlier this summer, my three-year-old son noticed how dirty our van got. And he loves going through car washes, with all the water spraying around. And so he asked me, Daddy, when are we getting a car wash? And so I basically promised him that we would do it as soon as we got back from camping. But then a whole slew of things conspired to keep that from happening. There was a time that the car wash was closed, the line was too long, we were running too late for something else, I had an opportunity to do it one time when he wasn't in the car with me, I just plain forgot. <laughs> Not keeping my word wasn't intentional. It just happened. It was like two weeks later before we got the van washed. <laughs> but here's the thing. I really shouldn't have made that promise in the first place. If we can't control things, and then don't control things, and thus break our promise, we end up as liars. The presumption in our heart leads to dishonesty in our words and our actions. The presumption in our heart leads to dishonesty in our words and our actions. And that gets at the heart of the issue of swearing. When we rashly promise something, we act like we are in control. We effectively act as if we were God. We may not believe we are, but we act like we are and thus betray our hearts. Meanwhile, 
God is everything that we are not. In just today's passage, notice what it reveals. Verse 33, it says, We perform our, uh, what to the Lord what we swear, implying that God is watching. God sees all. Verse 34, Everything associated with God is sacred. Why? Because God is holy. Verse 35, God is king on a throne. He rules and reigns over all creation. Verse 36, you cannot make one hair white or black. What's implied? God can. Right? He is in control. He deserves our worship from our every breath and our every word. How so very foolish of us to, to swear anything by ourselves, by our own heads. How misguided we are to make promises to those in our lives we may disappoint. One way we can show that our trust and faith in God are growing is how we use our words. Right? How we actually use them. If we are constantly presuming upon the future, we probably trust ourselves more. If we are constantly, continually worrying about the future, we clearly lack a trust in Him. But if we are careful, prayerful, pointing, always pointing to His sovereignty, His will, His care, that can be a powerful testimony about who is really king over our lives. We need to be careful about what we promise because things are out of our control. After giving these several examples of what we should not say or swear, Jesus ends with a positive command of what we should say instead. Look in verse 37. Let what you say, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now Jesus is talking about how we talk, period, more than just oaths. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. What's his point here? His point is a very simple point about simplicity. Okay? We need to be very careful about what we say because anything other than simple honesty is wrong. Right? We need to be careful about what we say since anything other than simple honesty is wrong. The point is, as a Christian, you should never have to resort to oaths in regular conversation. The New Living Translation translates verse 37 as, Just say a simple, yes I will, or no I want, won't. Your word is enough. To strengthen your promise with a vow shows that something is wrong. Douglas Moo puts it this way, that our truthfulness should be so consistent and dependable that we need no oath to support it. Or as John Piper says, we are to be utterly and deeply and simply committed to tell the truth. But what's better about simply saying yes or no instead of swearing? And what's, what's better is that it's pure honesty. Right? That it's, it's simple integrity. Your word is your bond. It's not showy religiosity. It's not prideful presumption. It's not needless embellishment. When simple words are backed up by simple integrity, yes and no can actually be stronger than any oath. 
Jesus is saying that this simple, straightforward, plain speech should be a distinguishing mark of believers. Now, you can still lie with a yes or no. And you can still fail to keep your word, the yes or no. Which takes us right back to your heart. Do you have integrity, consistency there? Are you being honest in your heart? Can other people trust your heart? By the Holy Spirit, are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness? Are you humble enough to say no to doing certain things beyond your limits? Are you working under the good presumption that God can change your plans? The reason that what we say matters so much is because of what we just explained about God. He is always with you. He sees everything. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is king. So Lloyd-Jones concludes, as Christians, we should always speak as in the presence of God. Everything we do is of tremendous importance. We claim we are walking through this world in fellowship with him and with his son, and that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Very well. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, says Paul. He sees and hears everything every exaggeration, every suggested lie. He hears it all and it hurts and offends. Why? Because he is the spirit of truth and there is no lie anywhere near him. And when we neglect these things or forget these things, we are acting no less than atheistically. We talk and we converse and we sing and we whine, and we yell, and we curse, and we comment, and we swear as if God were not there listening to every word. So do we really believe He is? He's with us? This is what makes anything more than simple honesty, simple yeses and noes actually evil. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Or some translations say the evil one. In other words, dishonesty in our speech is actually satanic. That may shock us. But it shouldn't. He's the father of lies, after all. Even just careless words, thoughtless oaths can be demonic. So I challenge you today to really begin to evaluate the words you use. Evaluate what you say. Your speech is not just some coincidental byproduct of your life and actions, something that is outside of you. Your words expose your heart and who you are at the core of your being. So consider whether you do frivolously make promises or commitments that you can't keep. Ask yourself how quick you are to speak, how impetuous you are, if you're 
rude or unkind or thoughtless or vulgar in any way. Look at your online habits and see if you are being truthful and trustworthy. Are you only sharing reliable, verifiable stories and articles? Unbiased, if possible. We must not participate in the pervasive culture of falsehood around us. Examine your everyday language for anything deceitful. White lies, covering your tracks, exaggerating your exploits, cheating on something. Kids, are you lying to your parents or those in authority over you? You can actually start building your trustworthiness from a very young age. Seriously consider if there are, are words or phrases in your vocabulary that need to be eliminated. Repentance may be required. Do you do, you do what you say you'll do? Do you follow through on commitments that you make? Think of whether you're being faithful to vows that you've already made, like your marriage vows. Or even just your work contracts. If you're like me, what you'll see when you examine your own heart is rather bleak. You know, you know that you've spoken thousands of careless words in your time. You know that you'll, you'll see dishonesty and unfaithfulness in various forms lurking in the corners of your heart. Jeremiah the prophet tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. And we feel that. But the same prophet promised us that one day God would make a new covenant with his people. He said that I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. We may not be able to trust each other perfectly. We can't even trust ourselves. But we can trust this promise. Because it is impossible for God to lie. Besides, this promise is already fulfilled. Jesus brought this promise to pass. So if you've got sin this morning, run to your Savior. And may following Him, the living Word, the, the way, the truth, and the life, truly begin transforming our own words. Would you pray that with me? Heavenly Father, something that we usually take so frivolously, we don't even think about how we're using our words. We come to your word today and we see how seriously you take them. 
Lord, forgive us. Come to you repenting of the ways that we have fallen short. Even today, even this week, we've fallen short of your glory again. Thank you that you promise to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess it to you. I pray that every heart here today would go to you, run to you today, and find your grace. Thank you that you always keep your word. In Jesus' name, amen.